Hello and welcome to another episode of the BNP Paribas Wealth Podcast. I'm Edmund Shing, Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Guy Ertz, our Chief Investment Advisor. Hello, Guy. Hello, hi. And so what we're going to talk about, Guy, today is inflation. Inflation is the macro topic which is on everyone's lips today. We know that the official CPI inflation figures are very high right now, 7% in the US, which is the highest since the 1980s there, 5% in the UK, and even 5% in the Eurozone. And in Germany, we've seen the highest inflation right now since reunification in 1992. So we know it's an issue. It certainly is on everyone's minds and is starting to concern central banks. But Guy, let's kick off with the first question. What really are the key drivers behind this surge in inflation? And do we really risk a wage price spiral similar to what we saw back in the bad old 1970s? Yeah, I mean, that's the key question, of course. And um, we see mainly three drivers. Uh, the first would be the so-called base effect, which is a statistical effect. The second is all around supply chain. And the third is around the job market situation, which is actually the long-term driver and probably the most key one when we look a bit further out. So first of all, on the base effect, remember that when we measure inflation, what we do is we take a price level of a basket of a certain month, and then we look in comparison to the same month of the previous year. So as we are, and as we have been comparing recently to the months of the previous year in 20, which were very depressed months due to the pandemic, we do have extreme comparisons that will tend to kind of uh, turn and fade gradually because as we will compare now January with January, February with February, we will compare gradually to months that are already have seen more normalization in the previous year. And thus this base effect will become much less extreme. And that would be one key driver to uh, actually bring a turnaround, a peak that we would expect in the in the coming months the second argument is around the supply chains and remember we are, have been in the last decades uh, focused with the just in time we've been focused with more globalization and companies have been seeing to what extent that can be constraining and uh, actually not only because we've seen uh, some of some of the production to be to be stopped for some periods of time uh, due to covid a year ago or a few months ago but also the transport routes the transport chains and in particular the shipping were quite disturbed distorted by this uh, by this uh, pandemic and we see now typically the anecdotes uh, with the ship uh, queuing uh, in ports that has all led to a shortage of key raw materials of also intermediary goods like uh, semiconductors but also in construction uh, materials what is expected? Well, we do see gradually first signs of normalization. We still have to monitor this very closely, but we also should see there over the course of the next few months that we will see also somewhat less pressure from that side. Also, that is relating to the oil market situation where also we've seen some shortages not uh, notably also with gas, natural gas, but all of that should start to normalize in particular for the energy part, uh, the end of the winter or the entering of the springtime should also bring some relief from that part. And then finally, also due to some shortages, uh, some pressure in the housing, probably a bit more in the US, but here also we see some first signs of a cooling, especially on the rent uh, side, need some confirmation, but it's rather going the right direction. 
Third point, medium term, the job market, quite differentiated situation. The U.S. is uh, in, a, in a situation where there are some clear shortages, some bottlenecks really in terms of the, the job market, um, especially on the lower income or lower salary uh, jobs or lower qualified jobs. It has to do with the fact that many people left the job market, not only during the pandemic, but even before, and that we have here still some uncertainty to what extent and to what speed people will come back to the job market and actually go for those jobs that are now vacant and offer a better condition, be it in terms of wages or in terms of the general package. Now, to be frank, there's still here a lack of evidence that we really turned the corner. So the participation rate, which is typically measuring this, will be monitored very closely to make sure that we don't have a price-wage loop or, or uh, starting, which actually we see as relatively unlikely because when we compare to the 70s, we do have a situation now where unionization rates are much lower. So the, the bargaining power is somewhat lower uh, than in the, in the 70s. And that should be such that, yes, we can have some adjustments in the wages, but it, it is unlikely to see a really a loop kicking in here. Also interesting that, especially for lower wage workers, we've seen a long period of time where there was almost any or hardly any rise in the real wage and the purchasing power measure of wages. And thus, to some extent, the uh, wage increases will be justified also uh, by productivity gains of the past few years. And to some extent, also leading to a more favorable effect on the purchasing power once inflation should be normalizing. And that's really the conclusion. We see these three factors, especially factor the first factor, base effects, to some extent, also the supply chain effects really driving a gradual fall of inflation rates. In Europe, we should be going back to uh, 2% by the end of this year, early next year. In the US, it could be a bit later because the job market situation could still drive a bit longer, some wage increases. But by 23, we should clearly also see the inflation rate coming much lower. Again, peak should be expected already in the next uh, few months. So what we really are seeing right now is maybe a peak worries because, of course, inflation, as you've said, is probably peaking around now in Europe and the US and then should start to decline from these very, very high levels over the course of this year. So if we look to next year, 2023 and beyond, where will we end up? Will central bank rate rises from the US Federal Reserve, from the Bank of England, will they drive a return to a very low inflation rate or even a more deflationary environment similar to the ones that we've seen in previous years as growth inevitably slows. Is that where we're going to end up in 2023, Guy? That's, of course, a very key question. I mean, um, we are looking for a lower inflation by the end of the year entering into next year. The key question will be to see to what extent growth will be slowing and to what extent uh, that could be actually bringing inflation even lower than what is desired. Clearly, central banks have been actually uh, officially or unofficially looking for the 2% target inflation medium term. For the US, the key will be to see now at what speed the Fed will be hiking rates and, and to what level they will bring the rates. Also, whether they will couple it with reduction of the balance sheet, which could at some point be a bit critical because, again, 
the Fed could be turning much more aggressive just when inflation is turning. And that is, of course, of clearly in the Fed's mind. And the, the Fed knows that risk. And today, we are looking for a gradual move on the rate side over the next two years, leaving the Fed fund rate, the policy rate, at around 2% by the end of 23. But it will be key to see to what extent we could see the Fed pressured and acting more, which could definitely then bring back the issue of lower growth and even inflation falling too much. In Europe here, uh, the situation is also to be monitored, but we are looking still for these major investment stimulus programs with multiplier effects. So from the growth side, we should see growth remaining much higher than pre-COVID, and that should help not falling too low or actually keeping uh, inflation close to 2% and not seeing the deflation risk uh, coming back. So in fact, we could see a bit of a Goldilocks scenario emerging from the Eurozone after years of deflation in 2023. I mean, that sounds great, Guy, if that were to be the case. But what sort of indicators should we monitor to check whether that's coming true or whether some unexpected inflation risks are appearing still? Clearly, the indicators that I've been mentioning before and with some more focus on, on the energy and gas price normalization, especially as we get out of the winter period, then we also need to monitor the housing, especially in the US, uh, the evolution of rents. I mean, just, the, just if rents could stop rising, that should be already much less pressure on the inflation uh, rate. Uh, so that is what we expect, but it needs uh, some confirmation. And then medium term, two factors really key. The job market, as I said, and watch for the participation rate to what speed people come back eventually to the job market and bring some relief for those shortages that we see in some uh, segments of the job market. Also, an interesting long-term indicator, the long-term inflation expectations, either measured by the market, by asset prices, like, for example, inflation forwards or break-even rates, that will be also quite key. At this stage, they behave relatively well, suggesting that the market is expecting the central banks to be credible about keeping inflation under control. And the same comes out of the surveys on the consumer side. So the long-term inflation expectations are still relatively well behaved. But again, keep an eye on uh, those ones. And of course, medium term, the other key part, the job market and the participation rate. Now, taking all of this into account as an investor, we certainly have been advising our clients that they should still think of hedging their portfolio against inflation risk for the short to medium term. And this certainly was one of our five investment themes for 2022, in fact. And certainly we focused on commodities as one of the parts of the solution, both in terms of base metals particularly those related to the energy transition, such as tin, aluminium and nickel. We like those. We've mentioned energy commodities as well, such as oil, which we also like, particularly for the roll yield. And thirdly, precious metals such as gold, which we still like for that sort of portfolio hedging properties. But what other inflation hedging solutions do you see investors should be looking at right now? Well, I think you already summarized most of the straightforward parts in, in the asset area. Traditionally, real estate has been one of the key ways to hedge against unexpected inflation. Gold is among the list, of course, as drivers of inflation, the industrial commodities. 
also in the fixed income world, we can still look for some assets, but naturally, of course, not looking for fixed coupon assets, but rather for floating rate or variable rates products, which could either be floating rates, corporate bonds, like for example, some banks that issue bonds that are with a coupon indexed on short-term rates, or some products that are working with corporate bonds, but again, structuring it in a way that the remuneration, the coupon is indexed also with or compared to a short-term rate. So that would be typically a bit of an overview of these products. Yes, and I think within the equity part, obviously either equities with direct links to commodities such as oil or mining companies, and finally, companies with significant pricing power so they can pass on any inflationary cost increases to their clients. Thank you very much, Guy, for your time today. And thank you to our listeners for listening. Please like, share and subscribe this podcast. For more content from BNP Paribas Wealth Management, search simply for BNP Paribas Wealth. And please subscribe to our podcast to hear more of this content by looking on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. Search for BNP Paribas Wealth. <laughs>